too. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. I just want to follow along. It's always good, man, to have it right in front of you and to be able to see the Word of God. Um, That's what we want to do here is just teach you the Bible and point you to Christ. But here in Joshua chapter 2, we read in verse 1, it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now, if you've been studying with us, uh, you know that uh, the children of Israel are on the brink of the promised land. And so they're now going into a time, it's a new chapter in their life and the history of Israel, which for us is representative of uh, the way that God wants to give us more. You know, I don't know where you're at in your life, where you're at in your life as a Christian, but no matter where you're at, um, my prayer is that you would not be content, that you would know that as a, as a Christian, as a human being, that there is so much more as we continue to yield our life to Jesus Christ. You know, that's what the book of Joshua is all about. You know, you got to know what you were made for. you got to know how good God is, how strong God is. And, you know, a lot of times I think we just forget and we kind of settle for, you know, much less than second best. But it doesn't matter where you've been or maybe even how much you've messed up. It doesn't really matter. Here we are tonight and God is saying, I want to bless your life. I want to speak to you. And so Joshua is a book, it kind of gives us visual illustration of that truth. The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness, think about this, for 38 years. You know, for a couple of years they were receiving the law, they were kind of getting things ready. But for 38 years they wandered in the wilderness. It was supposed to be an 11 day journey. But it took them 38 years. You know, and for us I think that can be symbolic of how we waste a lot of our life. You know, here we are, some of us here, maybe we're older and we've just, man, we haven't learned yet how good God is, how strong God is, how holy God is and the plans and the things that he wants to do in our life, in your marriage, in your singleness, wherever you're at in life. And so he says, you know what, no more wandering in the wilderness. Now it's time to go in and to possess the promised land. And so here they are, Joshua, it says right here in verse 1, he, he sends a couple of these guys to spy. Notice it says secretly. He, he sends a couple of guys secretly. Only a few people knew. Now, in looking at this, I think it's kind of cool. It's wise, I believe, on his part because they had learned from their previous experience. If you remember back in Numbers chapter 13, 12 spies were sent, and they were sent publicly, not secretly, As a result of that, 10 of the spies came back. They returned with a bad report. And those words of discouragement led to doubt and then to the defeat of the entire nation. And so Joshua here, I think he learns. And he ends up just, you know, sending a couple of spies secretly. And we're going to see that the Lord is in this whole thing. And just as a really quick side note, man. I pray that we would be people who learn from our mess-ups. You know, because when we mess up and then you go and do it again, you know, and that, that's where we fall into trouble, man. You've got to learn from the mistakes that you've made, maybe even from the mistakes that others have made. 
But they learned this time. They didn't do it publicly. They just spent a couple of guys, and, and they did it secretly. And, and we see right here that they were spies sent from Acacia Grove, which is about seven miles east of the Jordan. And it says right there that they were primarily sent to Jericho. Now, in looking at this right here, it says, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And so here they go in, a couple of uh, spies on a reconnaissance mission. Um, kind of interesting, huh, that they would end up in the house of a prostitute. Now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was no sexual sin involved in that they ended up in the house of a harlot named Rahab. But on their part, it was probably a strategic decision. At the same time, it was a sovereign decision. Because look what happens, you guys, here in verse 2. It says, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. And so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And so the spies are sent in. They find themselves in the house of Rahab, a prostitute. And apparently someone had seen the spies enter the house. And so the king sends men to take them, at which point Rahab lies to the men that the king sent, saying they were here, but now they're gone. Go, search for them. And all along we see in our text that she was hiding them on her roof. So the men believed her, and therefore they went out to search for the spies by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, which would be areas where people would cross the river. And so in looking at this, and we're going to see a lot, and I don't want to give you too much in the beginning, I kind of want to let it unfold. You know, why would Rahab do this? Think about this. There she is, an inhabitant, a citizen of Jericho. Uh, a couple of guys come in, and now, you know, her king sends men to, to get them, and, and she lies, she hides them. And, and the question is, why, why would she do it? Now, I don't know. You know, it sounds a little sketchy at first. Um, it has elements of being risky as well. Um, if you think about it, when they came looking for the spies, the men could have easily searched her home, found the spies, and executed her. But something was moving her. There was something deeper going on. There was a faith that was just kind of like rising up from her heart to do the things that we see here. And we kind of read it in verse 8 through 13. It says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. 
Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. In verse 9, Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. It's an interesting story here in Joshua. Rahab uh, is a fascinating woman. You're going to see some things about her that are pretty phenomenal. Uh, a, A harlot from Jericho. Really incredible. Here we see she uses the personal name of God, the God of Israel, and, and what she basically communicates to the spies is, you know, I know who we are as a, as a people in Jericho. We are fallen. We are faint-hearted. We have heard all about what happened 40 years ago, the parting of the Red Sea, the victory over Egypt, and even what happened not that long ago and that you utterly destroyed Sihon and Og. She said, now we are at a point where there remains no more courage in any one of us. Our hearts are melted, she said. I know the Lord, your God, is the God of all gods, that he's the God of heaven and of earth. You see, and at the heart of Rahab's actions, and we even see it in her declarations, is this thing we call faith. It's it's really an activity of faith. She believed. She believed in a personal God, in a powerful God, an incredible God, the God of Israel. She believed probably more than even some of the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, Rahab believed so much that she made it into the hall of faith. You guys know what that is, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, it's our version of the hall of fame. The Christian version is called the hall of faith. And she's also used by James as an illustration of faith. And so it's really, really interesting. You know, like I said, Hebrews 11 is like a hall that's all about the people who ultimately possess the promises of God. And the way they did it is by faith. Now, one of the things I've learned in the church and even in my own life, you guys, is we have to get a firm understanding of what faith is. Because if not, we will not possess the promises of God. You know, we walk by faith. And we need to know that. It's very important that when God commands us to do something, that even though it might defy logic, if God commands us to do something, we must do it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you're not listening to God, if you don't have an ear to hear what God is saying, then you don't even have hope for faith in your life. But it begins by listening to God, by God speaking to you, God speaking to you, and then following through on the things that God tells you to do in life. And of course, we know it's the written word, but it's more than that. Because we have a personal relationship with God. It's a still, small voice in which God leads 
our life. Of course, everything is tested by the word of God. But the only way we will ever possess the promises that God has for you and me in this life is if we learn to walk by faith. And Rahab is an illustration of this. She's in the hall of faith. You know, when you read the Hall of Faith, you see, first of all, Abel and Enoch. You know, they're heavy hitters, right? And then there's this guy, Noah. Any of you guys ever heard of Noah? Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. I mean, these are, are the big guns, right? And then, and then the man Moses. Moses is pretty big, right? And who would come after Moses? You would figure it would be Joshua, but it's not. After Moses, we see this gal right here named Rahab. In Hebrews eleven thirty one, look at what it says right here. It says that by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. You know, in looking at this, and we're going to see our study today, we've got a couple of main points that I'm going to share with you. And the first one is this, salvation for Rahab and her family. Salvation for Rahab and her family. Now, we know, of course, this speaks of uh, not only physical uh, salvation, but it also speaks of eternal salvation. That it was by faith that Rahab saved herself and her family from hell. It It was by faith. You know, some might wonder, well, how could she have faith? You know, who was the preacher? Who was the teacher? Who was the reacher, you know, for Rahab, right? And and we don't know for sure, but, you know, it simply appears by reading our text that she was open to the obvious. You know, the open ears, the open heart led her to conversion, to the conclusion that God is God. Look at what God has done. And here's the truth, you guys. Anyone who's open to the truth, the truth of creation, who made you? The truth of revelation. Have you checked out the Bible, man? The the truth of redemption. Look at what Jesus did. The truth of the resurrection. When you begin to look with open ears and open eyes and open heart at the obvious, then you will come to the same conclusion that Rahab did, that God is God. Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. You see, we look at this right here, and and not only that, you know, what about the true and genuine salvation and transformation of all the followers of Jesus Christ? You know, did you know that your testimony as a faithful Christian can lead others to faith? It's so cool, you guys, when we allow God to move in such a way that people like Rahab uh, won't need a rehab, if I can just say that, man, you know. I mean, some people say, oh, you got to go to rehab to, you know, overcome that addiction, you know, and you got to go to counseling and, and pay a certain amount of money. You know what? I mean, I, I don't want to put God in a box or anything, but I'm telling you this, man, it's not a 12-step thing. It's a one-step thing. That when you surrender your life to Christ fully and completely, You don't need a rehab. You don't need a counselor. You've got the best counselor. That's God. You've got the power of God in your life. 
You see, and that's where Rahab was, man. It's so cool. She looked at the obvious, man. He parted the Red Sea and they, you know, defeated these kings. And look at the ways provided for this nation, you know. It's God, the obvious working of God through the people of God. It should bring people to faith when it's really the Lord moving and when they see it with open eyes, right? And you guys, that's an encouragement for us to let God do miracles through our life. Right? Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 16, He said, Let your late light so shine before men. Oh, I don't have that one right there. Anyways, Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, that's what we need. We need to let the light shine. You know, one of the things about this whole story that should speak volumes to us is that Rahab was a harlot. You know, and let that one sink in for a second, if you would, man. You know, some have tried to say that Rahab was simply an innkeeper. But the language of the text is very clear, especially in the New Testament passages. She was a harlot. You know, and when you think about that, it kind of reminds me, I think I have this verse here, Matthew twenty-one thirty-one. All right, wait a minute. One more here. Here it is. Let's see here. There it is. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. That's heavy, huh? You know, the religious leaders, the self-righteous, they were not open to repent of their sins and receive Christ. And, you know, a lot of times, man, those people out there that, that are, are, are buried in sins, they're living on the streets, man. You know, a lot of times you just talk to the homeless people or people that are addicted to drugs. A lot of times, man, they'll receive the Lord. You know, and for us, that's part of the message. But I think for me, the, the primary message is that, is, that, is that Rahab is a testimony for us, you guys, that God can save anyone. And I just pray that we would never, ever forget that. God can save the prostitute, the pimp, the murderer. God can save the Catholic priest. Who knows? He could even save the Pope if he repented, you know? God can save uh, Obama or Sama. God can save anybody. Now, I want to say that, you know, not just for us to know about them, but maybe for someone who's here tonight. You need to know that God can save you. And that's part of the message of why he shares this stuff, you know. I mean, we need to know that God can save anyone. Maybe we never forget there's no sin nor sinner that's too bad or beyond decay. No, the blood of Jesus, when received by simple faith, can reach us all and wash it all away. And not only that, but God can give anyone a new start. Anybody. Anybody today, he can give a new start. You know, if you read the Hall of Faith, we see that not only is Rahab mentioned there, but she's also mentioned by James as an illustration of faith. If you read James chapter 2, you find that James is kind of hammering home a point that true faith will always have true works. It says in James 2 verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith, how? By my works. See, so that's the point that James is making. And he then uses Rahab as an illustration in James 2.25. 
Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? You see, James is writing about how an individual is justified before men, how men can see whether or not there's real faith. He's saying, show me your faith. Show me your faith. And Rahab showed her faith by her actions. That's what we see in her, in, her, in her life. It's been said often that the Old Testament is in the new revealed and the new is in the old concealed. And God speaks to us through their lives. Rahab is a visual illustration that true faith produces works. And that's how she was able to hide the spies by faith. You know, it wasn't a fickle faith. It was beyond empty words. It wasn't just a confession or a profession. It was real saving faith. And the reason we know that, well, because she received the spies. She then hid them when the authorities came looking for them. And then she sent them another way and she moved to have a contract with them. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting, and I think for us maybe to make a mental note of, is that James only uses two people as an illustration of faith. One of them is Abraham, which we know he's the father of faith, but the other one is Rahab. She's amazing. Now, some people say maybe it's because she's a Gentile, not only a Gentile, but a Gentile woman. Again, communicating to us that God can save anyone. You see? You know, in one sense, when you think of Rahab, you can simply say that her actions showed that she loved God and the people of God. She loved God and the people of God. And is that not the litmus test for salvation? It is, huh? In 1 John 3.14, the Bible says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we go to church, right? No, it doesn't say that, right? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That's how we know. He who does not love his brother is dead, abides in death. I don't care what you say or what you feel or what else you do. You do not know the Lord. That's scary. Make sure you love the brethren. Rahab was a great illustration of loving the people of God. Here in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab's that example for us. And undoubtedly this chapter is recorded for us in such a way that we see the great salvation that she received by faith. You know, we have the story in the Old Testament, but then the New Testament gives us the heart of the story. And again, expressing to us today that God can save anyone as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, a real faith, a faith that has works. Now, in looking at this right here, I know some of you are are probably wondering, or you might even be latching on to the fact that Rahab lied, right? And here you are today, and you're all, you know, Rahab lied. And maybe you're thinking today, doesn't that give me the green light to lie? How many of you here are thinking that today? You're hoping that today, man. Sinners, huh? You guys, a lot of times, uh, tomorrow, oh, is April 1st. It was April Fool's Day, right? Okay, let me tell you, man, you can't lie, all right? It's the scariest day of the, of, of the year for me, man, because I am so gullible. And so I'm not going to answer my phone or anything. I'm not going to hide. 
It's, it's definitely a demonic holiday. <laughs> think about it. It's the day we can lie. You know, I just think that's bad. People look at this and they say, well, Rahab lied. And so, you know, there's cases where people, when people can lie, you know, and, you know, I don't know. If you read the text, you'll notice in our text that nowhere is her lying commended, right? Her lying is not commended anywhere. Only her receiving and hiding the spies is commended. She's commended only for her faith. And so be really careful, man, if you start, you know, breaking out that theology. Uh, David Guzik, he said this, The Bible simply reports Rahab's lie. It does not praise or excuse it whatsoever. You see, it's her faith that's praised. It's a faith that even saves her family. You know, the other day I was watching that movie, The Hiding Place. Have you guys ever seen that? The story of the Ten Boon family. It's a great, great story about this Dutch family that, man, they, they love God. And they loved the people of God. Very similar. And we see different things throughout the Bible, the midwives. or There's a couple of others that help, even hid, you know, David and his soldiers. But, man, be so careful, you guys. Um, I've always said, lies are the language of Lucifer. They really are. You know, and could God have still saved them? Maybe if she told the truth, I think there is a possibility. We've got to look deeper. It's not the lie that saved these guys. It was God. And we need to stick to that, right? It's her faith that's praised. It's so beautiful the way that she cares for her family. Look again in verse uh, 13. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. I think that's so cool, man. You know, when you really have that tender heart of God, you know, you have a, a heart that just goes out for the salvation of your family. And that's where Rahab was, the salvation of all. So she works out an agreement, even a covenant with these guys. Uh, look what we read in verse 14. It says, So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward you may go your way. And so the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. And then she said, According to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain, stayed there three days, until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountains, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. 
And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Rahab wanted a, a, a sign. She wanted a covenant. And so they entered into a covenant, a strong and binding covenant, a life-for-life covenant. They asked Rahab to do a few things on their part, um, to make sure she did not reveal their battle plans, to make sure the people of her family were in the house, and to make sure she bound a scarlet cord in the window. If she stayed true to her word, then she and her family would be saved. You know, and I don't know about you, but when I think of that scarlet window, I mean, that scarlet cord hanging out the window right there, I know that theologians throughout the ages have considered that to be a great picture of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, David Guzik, he mentioned this. He said, as early as the first century, commentators such as Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr, Arrhenius, Origen, and more saw the scarlet cord as a symbol of the blood of Jesus. Scarlet. Where have we heard that before? You know, you look at the word scarlet in your uh, Bible, and predominantly you're going to find it in the tabernacle, and you're going to find it in the activity of the priests. Because as you study the construction of the tabernacle, you'll notice the frequent use. And we know in the tabernacle that everything is symbolic, right? Not only the tabernacle, but the practices of the priests, the color scarlet, claws of scarlet, were commanded to be used in the cleansing of the people. And we know in the whole aspect of salvation that sin is like scarlet, right? We know that. Isaiah 1.18, the Bible says, Come, now let us reason. It says together, says the Lord, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And we also know that Jesus bore our sin. You see, our sins are like scarlet. They're like that. We know it's that, you know, the stain that just can't be removed. I don't care how much Windex or whatever it is that you get, 409. They got that magic cleanser stuff we got back there. It works on pretty much everything. But it won't wash away your sins. Our sin is like scarlet. It stains us. There's no way out. But Jesus, it says in Matthew 27, 28, was robed in a scarlet robe. Not just random. It's a picture of the fact that he bore our sins. And as that scarlet cord was hanging out the window right there, and as he said, he said, man, whatever, whatever you do, you've got to keep that scarlet cord there. It must be there. It must be in your house. It must be hanging out your window. We must be able to see the scarlet cord or we are blameless in the destruction of you and your family. And for us, the decision needs to be made and you know, hopefully heads of houses are making decisions and everyone here has made that decision to hang the scarlet cord of the blood of Jesus Christ in our life. And to the day that you die, you never take that cord away that you always trust in the blood of Jesus. You see, it's a picture for us, you guys. I know we mess up. Man, I don't encourage you to mess up. Stop messing up the best that you can. 
grow. Become a mature Christian. You can by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you do fall, get up and believe in the blood of Jesus Christ that really does wash away our sins. You see, that's the hope that we have in the scarlet cord. You know, one of the interesting things about this, uh, Henry Morris brought this out. He said, it's noteworthy that the word translated line here in chapter 2, verse 21, and we see it again in verse 18, it's kind of interesting. It has its first occurrence in the Bible at this point. It's never translated line anywhere else in the Bible. You know, that's weird. It's never translated line every, anywhere else in the Bible. Its usual meaning is hope. For example, Psalm 71, 5, same Hebrew word, Thou art my hope, O God. You see, this thin scarlet line, the scarlet color, perhaps speaking of the blood of sacrifice, was thus Rahab's only hope of deliverance for herself and her loved ones. You see, that word line is supposed to be hope. It's a scarlet hope that we have in Christ. Now, when we use the word hope, we don't, you know, well, I wonder if I'm going to make it. No, hope for the Christian is a certain certainty about the future and that the future is our friend. And in Rahab, we have such a beautiful picture of salvation. Salvation for Rahab. Salvation for her family. How about you? Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you covered in the blood of Christ? Have you turned from your sins and trusted in Christ? If you do, he will wash you of all your sins. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. You just got to trust in Christ. It's very important that you do that. God loves you. And that's why he wrote this, to speak to you if you don't know Jesus. But the thing about this chapter is not only is it salvation for Rahab, it's also strength for Israel. And this is very important, and we've got to make sure that we don't miss this. You know, there might be some who say, hey, this entire spy mission was just for Rahab and her family. But a closer look reveals that it's not only Rahab, but not only saved Rahab, it also strengthened Israel. You see, in the end, if you think about it, wasn't it Joshua who would benefit most from the report of the spies? Was it not the people of Israel who would benefit from the report of the spies? I believe this is strategically and uh, given to us as a confirmation from God. Again, David Guzik, he said the reconnaissance mission didn't help with military service, but it did help in encouraging the faith. This was far more important than a good battle plan. As a matter of fact, we're going to see later that the battle plan for Jericho was kind of weird. huh? You guys know it, right? Okay, march around the city six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Okay, not really good military strategy, right? What would, what, would, what would give you the, the courage to do such a thing as a soldier? Faith. Faith. And when God commands us to do things, we've got to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. 
And so it was much more important for them to receive a word of encouragement, a word that would strengthen their faith, than it would be to have, you know, even all the military strategy of Jericho, you know, the blueprints. That would not be nearly as valuable, you see. And what we see is that God was giving them another confirmation, another affirmation that he was with them. You know, and I just think it's so cool that the Lord is gracious to do this and to grant us that confidence, that assurance that we need to follow by faith. Because a lot of times we think, well, God's not with me anymore. You know, he said that yesterday. And, you know, today's today. And God just says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I confirm it. I affirm it. You know, God is like that, huh? We see that Gideon was blessed with a similar confirmation. You guys remember the story of Gideon and how he, you know, was there and called with his 300 men against the Midianites. And, you know, God gave him, you know, uh, confirmation after confirmation, a couple of fleeces. And, and, and as if that wasn't enough, God was so gracious. You know, one day, the night before the battle, you know, he, he said, hey, go down there to the camp and you'll hear what they're talking about. And the Midianites we're saying, I just had a dream, and I mean, my dream was like this big loaf from, you know, Gideon. It came and it, it, just, it destroyed us. You know, that was his dream. And so the guy who went down, he came back up and he told Gideon, and he told the men, man, God's with us. You know, God's given us the victory. And God is gracious like that to give us that confirmation, you know, to give us those injections of faith that we need. You know, one of the things we've seen woven into Joshua 2 and really the whole truth of entering in to possess the promised land is the importance of courage. The importance of courage in what some might consider danger. Because if you don't have, if I can just say this, godly guts, then you're not going to make it. You're not going to possess the promised land. And you're going to play it safe. And you're going to be a paralyzed person. For God, we need courage, especially in the days that we live in today. If you're going to play it safe in the last days, then God's going to pick somebody else to use. See, we need courage. It's so important to have courage. That's why he kept saying it over and over again. Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua 1.8, only be strong and of great courage. Because if we don't have the courage, we're not going to obey the commands of God when they don't fit within our own logical framework. We have to have that courage. It's important. You know, look what Rahab told the spies. Remember in, in verse 9? Uh, and this was just to be a faith builder for them. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. And you see, for them, it's the same lesson. Discouragement and fear would lead to defeat. It's the same thing on the other side of the coin. See, it says right here in verse 9, And as soon as we heard those things, our hearts melted, nor did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. You see, it's the same thing, you guys. I mean, we can walk around like a, 
uh, much afraid or like a chicken little, the sky is falling. You know, we can walk around with so much fear, never willing to take these obedient steps of faith that God is calling us to take. And, and we see here the whole, uh, the way that it works, you guys. That was a difference with Abraham who went out not knowing where he was going. That was a difference with Moses, even though he didn't want to go and he kind of wrestled with God. He eventually did go to Pharaoh, right? It's a difference between everybody that wins and everybody that loses. It's faith and not fear. It's courage that we have as Christians. And the only reason we have any courage is because of the truth, because of the fact that God is with us. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, God would use the fear to defeat their enemies. He had prophesied this uh, in Exodus 23, 27. It says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. You know, uh, people, when they get afraid, they do weird things. Deuteronomy 2:25. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish of you. And just as God brings fear on the enemies of God, the devil brings fear on the people of God. What do we have to fear? FDR said except fear itself. Well, we need to fear God and no one else. When you start fearing and you base your decisions and your days on fear, you're not going to make good decisions, right? You know, when you start fearing, you need to ask yourself, fear really is a question. What am I afraid of? What are you afraid of? And then when you begin to analyze things and you test it with the Bible, you've got nothing to be afraid of. Well, I'm afraid I might lose this friend. By being obedient to God, then you've got an idol. I mean, there's a lot of things. You can just trace them all down, you know. I'm afraid of losing my house. Then you've got uh, the sin of covetousness. I'm afraid I might die. Well, you need to get saved then. I mean, I mean, this is a, <laughs> there's a lot of things that, you know, they just don't make any sense. But we don't even pinpoint what's going on. I just fear dictates our decisions rather than just making it simple and following God. And I wish we had more time to develop this, but I hope and pray that we understand the simple difference between success and failure, between winning and losing, between wandering in the wilderness and entering into the promised land, and that is belief or unbelief. Will we be followers by faith or will we live in fear? Remember 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, Paul said, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now when Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul was about to die. Timothy was supposed to carry the baton. Paul really cared about the church. And so he said, you got to make sure that you get rid of the fear. You have a gift Stir it up. Everyone here has a gift. Everyone here has a place in the body of Christ. And you've got to function to the fullest 
and every role and responsibility that you have. Don't let fear of failure get in, get in the way. Fear of anything. You see, Paul says, man, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, there's another really cool story over in Matthew 14. I think illustrates this same truth. And, and I like this uh, because it also gives us another few details that I think we need to know within the context of having courage. Uh, Matthew 14:22. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's kind of like how our life is, you guys. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's like when you give your life to Christ, it's like he puts you in the boat and he says, okay, I want you to go over to the other side. Simple. Okay? He's going to get you there. But in the meantime, you're going to have some, some hard times, right? You're going to experience opposition, the devil, the wind, the waves. Start freaking out. But God sees. Jesus sees everything you're going through. And so in the right time, in his time, not your time, you're going to see it more clearly probably. And so he comes to them walking on the sea. He's walking on the sea. And so what do they do? They're like, ah, it's a ghost. They're all afraid, right? And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's I. And the cool thing about it is what we read next. It says in verse 28, And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And if I could just pause there for a moment. Um, if it's the Lord, if it's the Lord giving you a command, I don't care how deep the water is or how boisterous the waves are or how strong the wind is, if it is Jesus giving you the command, you don't have to be afraid. You can step out of the boat and you can walk on the water. And by that, I mean, there's so many things about that. I mean, there's so many things about that in ministry, in family, but in personally, in, in my life, I can be the man that God wants me to be, that, that he commands me to be by faith. I'm not afraid. I can't be afraid to fail. But what ended up happening? There's a key to walking. You're going to see it in just a second. It says in verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. There's that word again, huh? And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. That was good. At least he prayed, right? <laughs> but maybe you're here today and you're sinking. And God says... Look what he says. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? 
And all, all I know, you guys, is that that's what we see in the Bible. And, you know, you read your Bible. You just read it. And you watch how many times God deals with unbelief and belief, with fears and faith. And we need to see Joshua chapter 2 for what it really is. You see, back in Joshua chapter 2, the real picture is this. Our enemies cringe at the power and presence of God. The God who has come to us. The God who is with us. The God who is in us. The God who is for us. We read here in Joshua chapter 2 about how their hearts were melted, how they had no courage. Our enemies cringe at the person, the presence, and the power of God. And we need to know that. We need to believe like never before. Again, look at verse 24. They said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. I remember when I used to wrestle, and you guys know how it is today, in every fight that they see. You know, before the fight even begins, what is it? It's the battle of intimidation, isn't it? And believe it or not, man, that is the difference. It makes such a huge difference. You know, and I just want to close with that, you guys, today, that you need to know what's, what's really going on, that... That, that God has this, this victorious Christian living, this land to conquer, this life to live. And it's real. And, you know, in the Lord, in His strength and by His grace, it, it doesn't matter who you are. You might be a Rahab. You know, it doesn't matter. God is here. God is real. You see it. It's obvious. It's open. And we need to just... We need to believe and see what's really going on. Our enemies are already defeated. Did you know that? They are already defeated. One day when you die, you're going to go home. You get a new body. There'll be no more death, no more demons, no more devil. The only question is, when will you walk in the victory? Are you going to wait until you die? Man, I hope not. I pray that you would live in the heavenlies today by the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, when I first got saved, I remember um, our kids were little and we used to get them these books, Adam Raccoon books. You guys any remember Adam Raccoon? Anybody here? Oh, only Shelly. She's the only one. <laughs> They're out of print, but if you can get them, especially you parents who have kids, they are worth their weight in gold. Glenn Keane, he's a Christian, He's a great artist. He's even the guy who uh, was uh, in charge of this last movie, Tangled. He's really good, but he's got a great message in his Adam Raccoon books. And when I was reading this right here, I thought of the visual story in the book of Adam Raccoon. There's this one book he has. It's called um, uh, Lost in the Woods. And what ended up happening was Adam Raccoon, he's representative of man. He's Adam, you know. Um, he was playing with a little ball. He was on his trail. And, uh, and King Aaron, who's supposed to be uh, Jesus, told him not to be distracted with it. Don't mess around with it. Because if you do, you know, you're going to get off the trail. But he didn't listen. 
know, he didn't listen. And so what ends up happening, man, he, you know, the ball falls over there, and next thing you know, he's, he's all in this, he's been lost in the woods. He's lost in the woods. And so he finds himself there, and what ends up happening eventually is these wolves surround him. And I want to show you just a couple of visuals from the book, not that you go get the book, but I want to show you kind of what we studied today. Um, what we see right here is Adam Raccoon, and look at all the wolves around him, right? That's how a lot of people think they are. That, that's my life, right? I'm surrounded by demons, and there's no way out. And so you know what? I know who I am, and I'm not even going to try, right? That's how some people are. They kind of see it backwards because the devil's got him in that state, right? And so we see the next thing right here, and they're just about to pounce on him, right? But uh, it didn't happen. And so Adam's like, well, whoa, you know, what's going on? And so he opens one of his eyes, and this is what he sees now. Look at what he sees now on the left. You see the wolves cowering? Whoa, can you guys see that? Okay, you can see that, okay? That's really the way it is when we acknowledge and live in the reality that God is with us and in us and for us. You see? I mean, who's stronger, the devil or God? You guys know. There's no comparison, right? Who's stronger, God or your flesh? God. God's stronger than the world. He's stronger. And so he's like, whoa, what happened? They haven't got me. And then he notices a hand on his side, and there's the Lord coming back, and that's what they're afraid of. It was King Aaron, right? Isn't he cool? That's Jesus, man. He's with you. And so what ends up happening? You see the little red ball? He just leaves it there, man. <laughs> he said, I'm just going to walk with Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about this whole thing, you guys. It's not a religion. It really is a relationship. It really is a walk, a walk with God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done in our life. And Father, I pray... Um, that you would just continue to do a mighty work in our lives, Lord. I, I know, Lord, that this is a special chapter, Lord God. And I just uh, pray that it would do something, Lord, tonight, that you bring you glory and honor, Lord, that everyone here, Father God, would know the victorious Christian life that is available through that scarlet blood of Jesus Christ. So do a work, Lord, I pray. And I ask in Jesus' name.